The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me there is Ben Kalusinski, who I see a lot of people are big fans of, given the initial surge of audience members here. But Ben, introduce yourself. Who are you? What's your background? How'd you get involved in interested in markets? And what are you doing currently? Yeah, so I appreciate you having me on, Michael. I t- typically don't really do any podcasts or things out there, but I haven't been as active recently on Twitter, so I thought it'd be a good idea once you invited me. But I typically don't answer things in the conventional method, just how my mind works and kind of why the market's been a little bit, I guess, more. I've been more consistent with it over time. I just found different things because in the market, if you follow what everybody does or everybody thinks, for example, retail out there, once there's a known, let's say a known variable that works or metric that you follow, like a certain indicator, for example, or a certain style of analysis, once it's well known by a lot of people, it's not going to work much longer. That's a difficulty that happens, especially with people that are well-established in the fund space. They find something that works really well and then they start sharing it or maybe selling it. And then once it's well known how they found it, then it will start ceasing to work because then people can hedge against it, they can front run it, um, et cetera. So along the lines of that, with the introduction for myself, instead of doing the conventional approach, saying the whole gist that people typically will say like, oh, I've traded for this long, these are my alkylades, profits, et cetera. I'd like you, and I just challenge all the listeners in today's video, listen to what I have to say throughout the video, whatever questions, we don't have a pre, pre-written script or anything, he's gonna ask me whatever. Listen to what I have to say, make your own opinion on what you, if I'm a, not necessarily a respectful person, but a reputable person in the space or not, I'm gonna let you guys completely make your opinion. I'm not going to share upfront what you should think of me based on alkylades, like the typical conventional sense. Rather, I'd rather um, instead share everything that I have in terms of the questions that are being asked to the best of my ability. And then you can decide if you think I'm worthy or not to be listened to. So uh, if that works with you, Michael, we can get started, ask me whatever. Yeah, by the way, I give you credit for because I'll put a plus one on the column on the point you just mentioned, which is that the load of indicators out there, which people keep on hitting and hitting and saying they're big believers in, it doesn't matter because it gets arbitraged away what that indicator is telling you. But there's a lot more than just indicators. There's also how it interacts with strategies and trade ideas, which we'll get into. It, just for my edification for the audience, separate from your background, talk about uh, what Cheddar Flow is and how you got involved with them. Yeah, so Cheddar Flow is, and this, by the way, this is not me trying to sell like a specific service. Again, you're just asking me what it is. 
in general. Everything I post on Twitter is free. I have other avenues outside of it that I provide data and information to people they can use. But again, that's totally up to you if you want to get that or not. Also have a YouTube channel affiliation with Cheddarflow. I do videos on there completely free for them. I'm not the CEO of Cheddarflow. I work with him I'm on the side, but I do free videos for them twice every single week. So a lot of my followers are familiar with that. But basically, the gist of Cheddarflow is it is a data provider for both order flow, so options, order flow data in the market, so that derivatives in terms of options, and then also a dark pool exchange data as well. For people that aren't familiar with the dark pools, you probably have seen that term out there, especially in the retail space. There's two names for it. A dark pool exchange is one. That's the most common, commonly known form or at least term for it. But what's actually used in the fund space is the term ATS, or that's an abbreviation for an alternate trading system. They're both the same thing. It is two different names for them. And basically what it is, it's it's an off exchange compared to the ones that you and I can trade off of. We can only trade off of lit exchanges, you and me being retail. Everybody in this, I would assume would be retail. Maybe there's some people from institutions as well. But we can only trade within lit exchanges. That's your typical ARCA, AJAX, et cetera. So those the orders are being routed through, no matter if you use TD Ameritrade, Robinhood, Webull, et cetera. These institutions can actually use dark pool exchanges, which are off the lit exchanges. That's why they're the, hence the name dark. And they can do one-on-one trades or exchanges with other institutions that are out there. So you have to have a lot of money in your fund in order to be applicable or apply to be able to access this exchange. So we also provide data on that. It shows large orders, like we're talking hundreds of millions, in some cases, uh, billions on tickers like an ETF like Spy or even Apple. So that shows what they're doing there. One key thing to note with that and why it sometimes can be useful to some people and then others kind of disregard it, up to you. But one thing with it, we don't know the exact intent of the order because it's not coming off of a lit exchange. Dark pools, you don't know if it was a buy or it was a sell. So with that, you kind of have to gauge based on other variables such as price action and the trend to determine if there's a large accumulation phase or a large distribution phase. So for example, back during the bank fiasco, actually, I had been doing a couple of videos for Cheddarflow around that time. Don't remember if I had a tweet or not because I haven't been as active on Twitter this uh, this year. But on Cheddarflow, I was talking about, on that YouTube channel, I was talking about how there was potential accumulation during March, especially the low of March, around that March 10th to March 13th time period, we we're seeing like about $3 billion plus in terms of premium in the dark pools. That's $3 billion hitting the tape, which is pretty rare to see uh, that amount on a consistent basis in the middle of March. And that was after all the bank issues with Silicon Valley Bank and everything. And around that time, I had been short for a while, as people know me as a bear, which I've only been a bear recently within the past 18 months or so because of data. I'm actually a bullet heart, believe it or not, if you're familiar with my post. But we saw a lot of accumulation around that time period, which I identified as accumulation. Remember, we don't know the exact intent. But because we were going down for quite a while, we saw a lot of those orders near the low. It's also a retest of a key downward trend line that goes all the way back to all-time highs from for the S&P 400. I signified that as a potential uh, for accumulation and hedged against it for the upside. And actually, we've been going all the way up since then, way beyond what my expectation was personally um, for that bounce, but it was a lot of accumulation down there. And that's just one use case of dark pool. And that's why that is included on Cheddar Flow. So that's the basic gist of what both of those are. I'm sure a lot of you guys are more familiar with the order flow in terms of options, order flow side of things, but just thought I'd give uh, some background on dark pools as well. Let's talk about... Um opportunity set for you. So your Twitter profile says, you know, you're a spy trader. Is that all you trade? Do you do other 
ETFs, other indices, other individual positions, or are you just very focused on that? So my main focus is on the S&P 500. I actually trade mostly SPX because there are tax incentives on that. If you guys are familiar, there's the 60-40 tax structure there. Depending on the duration of the trade, that will change what instrument that I use. Uh, SPY is a little bit better, at least I personally think, in terms of intraday because I can trim a little bit more as I continue to go up. For example, SPX, they're going to be more expensive contracts on there. So I'm not going to be holding as much compared to SPY. SPY, I can trim on the way up uh, ever so slightly as we go up, let's say like 5, 10, 15 points at each increment. It's a bit easier to trade a trim. But SPY and uh, S&P 400 in general, that is the main thing that I trade. I also dabble in other things as well. Sometimes I'll do tech trades, especially because tech, once it has an established trend, as we've seen, in the last like two months or so, it's actually way easier to catch that trend, ride it. That could be to the downside. And also what we've seen for the most part over the last couple of years now, that could be to the upside as well. So I will trade tech. So that'd be the NASDAQ. And then recently I did have a couple of trades on the Dow. I have a new strategy for that. And then IWM as well off of the demand zone. But for the most part, a SPY, that's what my followers know me for the most part on. So yeah, that's what I mainly trade. Okay. And in terms of your toolkit, right, for determining the when and when to buy, when to sell. It sounds to me like you're using some flow data, some technical analysis, but what's sort of the uh, the kind of go-to things that you refer to when trying to figure out how to execute or when to execute a trade? Yeah, so how long do we have for the podcast then? Because uh, that's that's a lot of different stuff. It's uh, all you, man. I'm just yeah, the guy that up. So I can go from the most basic to even more complex stuff, I guess. Just base level, everything goes in different trends, for example. So we know that the trend right now has been up for a while. We saw a lot of consolidation in April, but not only does the market go in trends where we see a trend up, a trend down, et cetera, but also what I use as a tool to derive uh, if I want to enter a trade position or not, that also can work as a trend. So for example, if a lot of you guys are my followers that are in here right now, when you remember in 2022, I had a very, I don't want to say easy, the market is not easy by any means, but a very easy time, I'll just say, in understanding price action on not only a week-to-week basis, but sometimes a daily basis of just where the S&P 500 would go. If you remember those, you can look back a long time ago um, at those tweets. And recently, what I've noticed, especially since around the beginning of the year, when we started to see a main reduction of volatility, is a lot of the tools that I used in 2022 actually weren't working as well or just completely ceased to work once the new year started after we saw a large reduction in volatility. A lot of those tools actually thrived on volatility in itself. And now the VIX has just been hammered lately. So I've actually had to discard a lot of those tools and I haven't actually used them as much. I will in the future. I do believe volatility will pick up in the future again. That seems to be a controversial statement. As I'm sure you know, Michael, I've looked through some of your tweets after you invited me on here. And I know uh, you're also in the macro bear camp as well, which I personally am in. It could be difficult to derive a time frame of when that uh, major downside could happen in the markets and just a potential recession as well. There's a lot of data to point at that. But Regardless, everything goes in trends. Uh, So what I used in 2022, a lot of that isn't as applicable to now. So I actually had to kind of rediscover uh, different tools to use uh, for 2023. So with that being said, order flow, you mentioned there, that was actually a very important variable that I used in 2022 because it's very good at identifying trends, especially during that time period for an ETF like the S&P 500, as well as QQQ. For the most part, in terms of order flow now in 2023, it's mostly just hedges as we've gone up, a lot less directional bets. 
So it's been a bit iffy. That doesn't mean that it just ceased to work entirely because there are a lot of use cases for order flow. For example, you can use it to scan for a ticker that has a lot of continuous hits on it. Like what we call it, uh, aggressive sweep orders. I mean, there's a lot of sweep orders hitting the tape. I have to ask for a certain security, specifically for an index, or at least it would be an ETF on there for like UQQ or SPY. When you see a lot of continuous hits out the money, that can be a good scanning signal to look into that ticker and then use other variables like technical analysis to derive what you'd like to do um, from there. That was very useful in 2022. A little less as of this year, you have to just analyze when the trend's going in a certain way to use that. But that was a useful thing I used in the past. And then there's difference to right now. For the main point, the main part of this year, I've mostly been using a kind of technical analysis along with my, I have, if you guys are familiar, I have a cycle analysis as well. I haven't shared much of those cycles on Twitter for the most part. But for example, there's cycles to the market. Everything runs in cycles and that can be within the hourly, which is actually something I'm working on right now is to gauge turns intraday based on the hourly chart. So get it to the hour where you see a turn to the opposite direction. And what do I mean by turn? For example, if we're going up into, let's say I have a turn at 2 p.m. Eastern. I don't, that's just an example. But at 2 2 p.m. Eastern, I have a cycle turn. In this case, it would just be at the hourly chart. And because of that, we know that there's a higher probability that because we're going up into that time of 2 p.m. Eastern, there's a higher probability we'll actually go down out out of it. So we go up into that time period and then go down out of that. And that's something I'm working on because I found a lot of success looking at turn dates on the daily chart. So there's a lot of variations of cycles you can use on the daily chart. I actually have a 15, almost 16 now uh, that I use, and I actually use them in convergence with each other uh, to gauge higher probability setups for a turn. And for example, one of them that I've shared publicly, again, I don't like to share as many of these publicly because when you share something publicly and it becomes a big deal, especially when it's well known in the FinTwit space, then it actually ceases to work over time. But this one I shared, it's an 18-day cycle. And I'll actually go on a chart right now if you guys want to open up one of your charts, whatever you use, TradingView, TD Ameritrade, whatever, and you can follow along with me on this. And I'll just open this up here, but it's an 18-day cycle. And basically what it does is what I shared with you earlier. Every single 18 days, you tend to see a trend change. So when something goes up into it, then you see a turn to the downside. I just have to open it up here. I have to remember what chart I had it on. But I've shared this one before on the Cheddar Flow YouTube as well. So I'll just get to this and I'll just share the exact dates of it. And you can see that it's worked fairly consistently, actually at 100% accuracy, which is not something that you should expect for a long-term view, but had 100% accuracy throughout this bear market so far. So I'm on it right now. Use a, if you have a trading view specifically, you don't have to use this tool, but makes it a lot easier. There's a tool, if you go to the, I believe it was the fourth, yeah, the fourth one down on the left bar, it's called Cyclic Lines. So you can click on that. It's kind of the geometric pattern on there. It shows like ABCD pattern all that stuff in there. There is something called cyclic lines. And I want you to start the cyclic line from the date of, let's see where I started this on here. So this date would be January 18th. We'll start that because that's the first time it worked during the bear market, actually worked before it as well. But we're going to start it at January 18th and you're going to drag it all the way to February 11th on there. So I drag it from the 18th to the 11th. And that is 18 days. You have 18 bars on there because that's a daily chart. And do that for SPY, by the way, if I didn't share that earlier. So on SPY from January 18th over here, all the way to February 11th, that's 18 daily candles. Of course, it's more days. You consider the weekend and days off, but I only care about trading days, active trading days. So you have 18 days there. And you're what you're going to see if, if you use that tool on there 
it's going to spread out all the other 18-day segments afterwards. And what's interesting is look at every single time we land into those other days. For example, if I just scroll even till recently, if we go to a recent time period, you can see it goes all the way until, well, like over here, for example, May 3rd, we were trading down into that date, has about a plus one or plus or minus one day error on it. But for the most part, this nailed the bottom before we continue to that upside all the way till now. That's May 3rd, end up being about that bottom date before upside. You can go all the way back to that May or March 13th bottom that we had. That was during the whole bank fiasco. We went down into that date and look at that. The exact day of the bottom was that 18-day cycle. As you can go across, you just look at all of these and it's been very consistent overall. January 19th, that's a Thursday. Also, we traded down into it and look what happened after that. We continued to the upside afterwards. So it has a mean of about three to six days of consistency of having a reversal afterwards. So you'll typically see three to six days. It can be a major bottom as well. It doesn't have to be. But for the most part, once you go about three to six days, you know that cycle has been completed. And you can see just looking at all of these, even to the downside, it works too. Go back to October. Let's see, that's October 5th. We had upside into that date. And along with that 18-day cycle, we had downside right after that. So this one works really well. And I've shared this in the past with people. So this is just an example of a cycle that I use. And along with a tool or tools like you asked me, Michael, I pair this with technical analysis with a couple other indicators and variables that I have to derive a very high probability setup for a trade that can be long or short. You guys know me as mostly my macro view on things. That's what I post on Twitter. But for the most part, I'm trading whether it be intraday or intraweek with setups mainly on the S&P 500. And whenever I have a key reversal date, now remember, this is one out of 15 that I have. Whenever I have a key reversal date or they actually overlap each other, then I have a high probability setup and I compare that with technical analysis along with a few other things. And then I can gauge a high probability setup. Of course, nothing's ever 100%. A lot of people complain on Twitter. So I'm sure you know, Michael, whenever somebody gets something wrong, you're never going to see 100%. That is with everybody. Because remember, market is about probability, but it's all about how you can increase that probability of success over time. And with that, you're going to become profitable. So that's just a simple thing I use. Uh, Hopefully you guys got those key dates on there. For people that just maybe tuned in or missed it, I did the cyclic lines tool on TradingView. January 18th is where you're going to start it and you're going to put it over to the next date of February 11th and you'll see it'll drag across to the rest of the days. And then every time we go up into it, it'll go down afterwards for the most part. And then every time we go down into it, it will go up afterwards. So that's a little uh, trick for you guys for joining in that I'd give some free alpha to you. But that's what I like to use along with the other cycles that I have paired with technical analysis. So hopefully that answered your question well. You said something, but you said it a little bit quickly under your breath, but I want to tease it out. You said in, in this bear market. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you still think we are in a bear market. Yeah, so this is, I guess, a controversial statement as of now. I don't think it's controversial at all. I keep going back to, this is what bear markets do, right? They make everybody think it's the end of the bear market before you hit lower load. Oh yeah, and I don't mind talking about anything considered controversial. I, I'll always just stick with whatever my opinions I believe they are. And I have no problem changing an opinion over time, but you got to be able to give me a lot of good data because you know that I've already been looking at a lot of different data over a long period of time. You can see the, for example, I've done a lot of macro tweets recently. Macro tweets can be difficult because the timing aspect is difficult. You don't know the exact time just based on a lot of macro variables when you're going to see downside in this case. But yes, this is a bear market rally, in my opinion. It's been going on farther than I've personally thought. So I will admit that. But for the most part, we haven't taken out key levels 
that would make me think otherwise. Yes, we've gone very high and I will respect that we've been going, again, we're all the way in the 4,300s now in the S&P 400. But if you look back at previous bear markets, you're going to see something similar. 2008, fairly short overall, at least the 2007 to 2008 time period, relatively short before that large drop. The dot-com bubble is actually more similar in relation to where we are right now before we saw that large down leg afterwards. But in terms of the data that I've seen, also colleagues that I have that are actually on Wall Street at the moment, there's a lot of people in a similar camp. Unfortunately, people on Wall Street are actually getting pressured into a buying at the moment, more so for the shorter term, just because they've been on the sidelines for a while now. A lot of people have been in the bear market camp for a while. We've seen a lot of those just articles and overall news for over a year now about potential recessions and bear markets. I'm sure a lot of people have been tired of that. And a lot of their clients have also been tired of them sitting on the sidelines. They want to be a part of, for example, this large tech rally right now, which is like 38% up on the year. So they don't want to miss out. There's that FOMO aspect to it. But with the end of, uh, or at least with the start of any major leg of a bear market, you're always going to see FOMO right before it. And it will drag on way longer than you can ever think. You can look and read about uh, all of the greats of Wall Street. They're going to say something similar about uh, it's considered irrational exuberance. There's actually a few books on that if you want to check that out, what that is in terms of trading psychology. But you'll see the same thing across time. You even saw it all the way back in during, before the Great Depression. There was that exuberance, irrational exuberance that is before the major downlaid. So there's a lot of similarity. I'm not saying, by the way, that this is going to be like a Great Depression. That's not my base case at all. If you are interested in my targets, I am looking for something around 3,000, 3,200 before I start loading the equity boat. Of course, that can change with time, but I am looking for new lows. That's for certain. New lows from where we bottomed about 2022. And people are thinking that I'm just maybe randomly saying stuff as well. I do have a lot of stuff on my Twitter, at least macro-wise and why I think that you can check out. Also, my pin, pin tweet on there, I did initiate a, I considered a big short position. That was just a joke of a name, I guess, compared to uh, Mike, Michael Burry's big short position. Of course, you know the movie and the book on that. But I initiated a big short position near the August highs of 2022. So that was a couple of days before we actually reached the high with my base case being about 3,500, where I'd cut three-fourths of it. And that's what I was looking for. And then continuing after that, actually, what ended up happening was we saw the Fed inject liquidity around that 3,500 level. But thankfully, after that day, if you remember, October 13th, that CPI report, we had a gap down and then a major rally up. I actually caught the low there. As you can see, my real-time tweet that's pinned, caught the low there and then cut half the position, left a stop on the rest and got stopped out. But fairly good macro trade in that sense for that downside. So for the most part, again, I still believe we are in a bear market right now, bear market rally that is with some potential downside to come. There's a lot of macro factors that can take place here. Of course, you've heard all of them just by looking at Twitter, all of you guys that are in this uh, talk right now. You've seen them all now on Twitter. It's hard to decipher when you see so much bearish bearish FOMO out there and stuff. But for the most part, just a patient game, a lot of cash on the sidelines. Again, at heart, I'm a bull, but the data at the moment, all the stuff that I've shared personally on my Twitter and stuff, all of that is pointing to more downside in the future. Timing can be very difficult. And of course, I've fallen a culprit to that. But I do believe we will see a large downside move here. I believe there will be a recession to some extent in the market. At least that's what all of these variables are pointing at. It's not just one, two, three variables that I'm looking at. There's a lot of things that are pointing to future downside. Of course, we'll have to see when that takes place best to look for some form of confirmation. But for the most part, if you're just not familiar with trading as much or don't have as much experience with trading, I can't make any suggestion for what you can do, but I can tell you what I'm doing personally, holding a lot of cash on the sidelines 
to go long in the future. So time will tell if I'm right or not, but we'll see. Again, if anybody wants to come up and ask questions, click that bottom left mic request button. All right, so I want to I want to hit on the the topic, uh, the name of the space, which is yeah, how to deal with subdued volatility. A lot of people will try to trade volatility itself, not realizing that volatility is more volatile than volatility would have you believe, right? The volatility of volatility is actually quite high. So how do you, first of all, when you're in these low vol regimes where you expect there to be higher volatility to come, how do you manage timeframes? How do you identify short-term setups? And I know you went through your thesis a little bit earlier, but I want to get a little more granular on just kind of day-to-day, given that you said you have a lot of cash. And then when do you know, how do you know, how do you identify when the volatility regime really is shifting? Now, in my world, I have certain you know, risk-on, risk-off signals that help me identify conditions, not the actual outcome, but the likelihood of it being a higher volatility regime. What kind of things do you look for to say, okay, now we flip this strip and we're no longer low vol and we're going to change how we, uh, how we trade the thing? We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Yeah, so... A few things with that. First, basic answer. If somebody's just looking for a simple an- answer, of course, everything in the market as well as life is going to have a nuance to it. But a level specifically that I'm looking at that would need to get crossed and held over in terms of the VIX, that's what I'm looking at right now for volatility, a 17.60. Uh, that would have to cross to the upside in the future. We'll ha- actually have to like close above it decisively uh, for there to be an uptick in volatility. So that's a key level. That's the short answer in a sense. That's something that I'm looking for uh, for me to start using. Again, what I talked about earlier in this podcast here, or this talk in general, I was talking about the metrics that I used and variables I used in 2022. I stopped using a lot of those this year because of that volatility reduction. I'd have to see a decisive break above 1760 at some point this year uh, for me to start using those or at least incorporating them in my strategies just because we'd likely see a lot more volatility after a break of that. And it's also, I guess, a controversial statement to even claim levels having to break or break above or break down on something like the VIX just because people don't believe that technical analysis or just indicators work on something like volatility. And there's a little bit more inconsistency to them compared to an individual ticker or an index. But technical analysis, based on what I've seen now, has worked fairly well in terms of the VIX. Of course, you're going to have more discrepancies for it, but I have cycles on the VIX in terms of volatility, similar to what I just shared with you guys earlier, like the 18-day cycle on SPY. I have technicals that also work on there as well. Again, a pivot level of 17.60, key one that would have to break for there to be more bearish emphasis in the market. And by design, there would also be bullish emphasis in volatility. But for the most part, as of now, as long as we stay under, at least this is my base case for the moment, at least what I'm following in terms of my trading, until we can get back over 1760. And that means decisively, I'd like to see a weekly close back above that. Then until then, or until that point, I'm going to only hold a shorter term positions. And that goes both ways. So I'm only holding things about a day to five days max for my trades. I'm not going super far out for swings at the moment. I need to hold things just very short term. That would apply also for scalps and day trades if I choose to do those. 
But for the most part, I'm only holding things one to five days between that time period, whether I go long or short. I consider those to be tactical setups. So tactical long is one to five days. Tactical short would also be one to five days. And until we can get back above that level in volatility, I'm just not looking for anything excessive just because we're going to see, for the most part, subdued volatility as long as we're this low. At the moment, a lot of those metrics that I shared earlier are just not going to work as well in this time period. And a lot of those variables uh, tend to work a lot better over longer term horizons. That's how I'm able to predict farther things that are further out in time, kind of like I did back in 2022. So until we can get back above, see an uptick in volatility, I'm just trading things with a shorter duration in terms of the overall time that I'm holding. Because what a lot of people don't understand, especially in retail, is time in itself is a risk. We know that just because of theta, for example, option Greek, of in terms of options, theta in itself is going to decay on your position as time goes on. So we understand that there's a risk in holding a long a contract for a long period of time. But what people don't realize in the market is as time goes on, there's also a risk with that. Because as long as you hold a position, whether it just be shares or even options, which of course you're going to have the Greeks priced in there as well that are going to harm or potentially harm your position, there's always going to be a risk of holding something for an extended period of time. Every day that goes on, there's going to be risk that you're taking on, whether you know it or not. Every night that passes, there's potential for something to go wrong, potential for something to go right as well, because risk can go in both directions, risk to the upside as well as downside. So with that, you have to understand that the longer period of time that you hold position, there's going to be extra risks that are going to be involved. And you just have to understand that before going into the decision. It doesn't mean you just don't take anything, but you just need to understand that other things can happen when you hold, especially overnight, and you're not managing that position. So until we can get back above that 1760 level, holding for a shorter amount of time, just because it's a little less certain, at least my view over a longer period of time for positions. So I'm just going to hold for shorter durations. That's kind of how I've been able to navigate as of recently as we've seen a subdued volatility. And that 1760 level isn't something that has been uh, a level for like a very long time. That's as of recent for the volatility reduction. Back in May, for example, in late April, I wanted to see a, a key close like above 22 to 23 for there to be a uptick in volatility. We didn't have that. So we continued down. Now the level would be 1760 to see that and we'd have to get back up into the 20s again after. So that's just kind of how I've been able to navigate so far. Of course, market's always changing, so things can change, but I'd like to see that 1760 get cracked in the future. I do believe it will happen, again, with all of that macro data that is pointing to further downside. But yeah, that's where I am at the moment. Let's get some of the audience up here. Yeah, so in terms of the Fed at the moment, again, we do have a big CPI report tomorrow. There has actually been a fairly decent, downtick in terms of uh, that inflation data that we've been seeing recently. Of course, it would be a lot better if it was further down at the moment. And yeah, I'm totally with you with that frustration. I know a lot of retail has been frustrated in them changing data, especially after it's come out. And that's actually been a difficulty that I've had to navigate as well. One thing along with that, they've injected a lot of liquidity since around that October 13th time period. They've done about two tranches of it. So one back in October 13th, or around that time period. And then another one, we saw an uptick or at least a meaningful uptick in liquidity in the middle of March. That was because of the bank fiasco. Both of those times, they did it through different instruments. So back around the October time period and then leading up until the end of the year, although it was less than October. And for example, November and December was a lot less of injection of liquidity than October. But they're able to do that through means like the reverse repo, as well as the TGA that the Treasury general account, which will be an important macro event heading into the middle of the summer months here as well. But something that they've been doing now 
they've been messing, I guess, messing with the market in the back end. And it makes it a little bit more difficult for people that have known metrics and variables, like I shared earlier, to actually work on a consistent basis when they're kind of intermingling with the market, uh, just similarly to how they change the CPI reports as well. Um, so there, there can be difficulties with that. Unfortunately, in our position, we can't really do anything about that. We can only predict what we believe they will do in the future. They can choose, of course, what they're going to want to do. But for the most part, that's the game. I, I treat this as a game. Of course, it isn't because you're using actual capital uh, that you put effort into to work for and then uh, end up trying to make more. But for the most part, at its base and at its core, I look at this as a game uh, in the stock market. I need to understand that some of the rules in the game may not be what I want them to be, but that's the rule in the game for the most part. I'm not going to be able to fight against it for the most part. And I need to figure out a way around it. I need to figure out a way that I can actually make it work because a lot of people like to complain about stuff. And it's rightfully so when we're provided data that's faulty and stuff, that's, that's not good by any means. But we need to understand that if that's how the game's getting played or being played, we need to find a way around that. And with liquidity, net liquidity has been something that's shown a lot of promise. Uh, it kind of got skewed after the BTFP uh, loan program in the middle of March. Um, so that hasn't been working as well recently. I'm working on a new liquidity model uh, that uses the BTFP injection of liquidity to gauge a better fair value of the S&P 500. So there's just a bunch of different things or different ways you can try and navigate around it. It becomes more and more complex over time. But yes, it's totally a frustration to see that they keep changing things across time. Nothing necessarily that I'm aware of that we can do anything about it other than try and navigate what we're given. And that's unfortunately my best answer answer for you. Well, you know, and, well, and the reality is, uh, I've used that line a few times, but, you know, we don't choose the cards. We're dealt, we choose to play the game, right? So it's like, all right, this is the environment we're in. We got to figure out how to how to manage through it. Just the reason the roof of the remaining minutes. So everybody, please make sure you follow Ben here on Twitter. If any of you want to come up and ask questions, click that bottom left mic request button. And as always, this will be under Lead Lag Live on Spotify and Apple. I want to talk about managing risk here for a bit, Ben, because I think there's a different ways of viewing risk from the standpoint of time frame. Some will argue that the least risky thing you can do is buy and hold. Some will argue that the most risky thing you can do is trade intraday. So you're bearish. Uh, does that mean that you are taking on shorter types of time frames? Because the problem there, of course, is that the shorter your time frame, the more whipsaw risk, the more noise, the less signal. So you're talking about just shorter term trades? Yeah, exactly. Well, versus, most versus, versus, yeah, kind of more swing or, you know, when you're comfortable taking on a longer term bet. Yeah, so when volatility is low and I'm looking for a shorter term setup, because again, there's time risk when you have lower volatility, harder to predict further into the future, at least on in terms of what I, in terms of my metrics and variables that I have, I prefer to just do shorter term without bias. That's another thing too. Again, I may be macro bearish, and this is something that people have had a lot of difficulty with, I've noticed on Twitter, and personally, I've also had difficulty with this as well, is understanding that macro-wise, we're in a very bearish environment, but in the short term, I can't let that cloud my trade. I can't have a bias towards that downside move that I'm expecting at some point, just because all of the macro data shows it, because there's still potential we can go up between that time period and look back at all previous bear markets or at least the ones that are near to now, back in 2007, before the large crash we saw in 2008. Same thing with the dot-com bubble. We saw large rallies, many of them actually, before the major leg down that finally completed that bear market that we saw both of those times. And that's going to be the similar case here. And of course, you, I have to understand that macro-wise, there can be that bias to the downside, but I need to be unbiased when I trade for the short term. 
recently. As of last Thursday, for example, I took a tactical long position and then closed it out, or at least half of it, roughly half on Friday, just for about a day over. And then I closed the rest of the position today. I don't want to hold through CPI as well as uh, FOMC because both of those are this week. So it had a nice uptick for there. But again, may seem odd coming from someone that a lot of people know as a bear that I can take long positions along with it. And I didn't just use that example to share like, oh, I I got it right because of course I've been wrong as of recently too. But for the most part, I just like to reduce my duration when volatility is low like right now and then also remain unbiased. Just look at the levels and the variables that I have to provide. Look at, for example, like the cycle I shared with you earlier. Look at a cycle that I have, a high probability setup, for example, paired with good technicals, I'll take that trade regardless of what my bias might be for the macro-wise. Easier said than done, of course, but that's my best suggestion that I could give a lot of you. If you are in that macro bear camp, uh, based on data that you've seen, you have to trade on bias, especially on a shorter term time frame, because day to day, it doesn't really matter. The market doesn't really care, at least about what the macro issues are outside in the US as well as the world. It's just going to trade day to day at the moment. And when the time comes, the time will come. But just trying to catch when that eventual time will come is just going to be very difficult. Because again, like I said earlier, these types of bear market rallies go on much longer than you can assume before. So again, duration, like to shorten that when volatility is low. And then also like to pair a lot of my technicals and remain unbiased whenever I take a position. Some of your... We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. best trades and some of your worst trades. I think you learn more from your worst trades than your best trades, but name out for the audience, you know, kind of the extremes that you've experienced. Oh yeah, I've had very extreme trades. So on both ends. So one, the most important thing that I've learned in the market, and I'll, I'll just start it with this. The most important thing that I've learned in the market is humility. And it's something that kind of you take for granted. A lot of people like to say that they have humility and they're, they've been humbled by just life in general, because of course, you're going to be thrown a lot of different things in life that are going to be difficult and that will humble you. The market by far has been something that has shown me or at least taught me humility more than anything else in life. Because no matter how much work you put in to trying to take a trade that you believe there's nothing that could go wrong against this, probability can still make it go against you. There's always something that can happen that can take that trade against you, no matter how much work you put in. You could literally, in, in theory, you could put years of work into a specific stock or just a company and you want to, let's say, take a long-term position on them. You know everything about the business. You, let's say you're just a long-term investor for that sense and you buy into it and you say nothing can happen. And then let's say Hindenburg comes out with a report, the thing falls down, for example, and then it never was able to recover afterwards. And you knew everything about the company. And it even seems like Hindenburg's just taking a shot in the dark at them for their own gain. And you're like, I don't understand why and yet still ends up falling down. So nothing is ever certain. And that's where the humility part comes in with the market because you never know, uh, no matter how much you think you know about the company, there always can be something at the other end that makes you lose. So that's the first thing you need to understand, especially just when trading. That's the first thing I wish I understood when I started. And it's one thing for me to say it. 
another thing for you to have to experience it. Because when you experience the loss and experience the kind of hit at your ego when you lose after having so much conviction in something, that's what really humbles you. Because again, I can share with you guys and you guys can understand a little bit, but unless you've actually been in that scenario, you just won't have those feelings that are attributed to it. So that's how I'd like to preface this. For example, I'll start with biggest win and then, or at least biggest or best trade, I guess, on a large scale, and then most humbling loss, largest loss, I guess, both both would equate. So one of my best wins, I'd actually consider to be the big short setup I was talking about earlier. I publicly shared this one, I had a ton of conviction behind it, and that's why I shared it publicly, because I had so many things, so many variables pointing to the downside. I actually, funny enough, I haven't posted this yet. I could probably do clips in the future. I have an hour-long video that I recorded the Two days or two days before the actual top in August, and I shared everything that I was using in terms of variables that was pointing to the downside. So this is right before that August sixteenth top. I actually made a video, is more so for myself at the time, just to show why I decided that I wanted to take such a aggressive short setup. Because remember, we were at around when I took the setup. It was I still remember the number it was four thousand two hundred forty five. It's when I went short on the S and P five hundred. We went up to about the low three thousand two hundred or sorry, um, 4,320s. I believe it was 4,325 at the max. And then I had to hold through that time period. So it was about 80 point up after I took the short position. And then it really tanked after that and continued down all the way to sub 3,500 where I ended up taking the first large portion of profits. That ended up being my best and most favorite trade because not only did I take it with large size, I also provided a lot of other people in the public. And it's very rewarding to, to see other people do well along with that. Of course, I can only share what I'm doing in the market, I can't give any suggestions. But if anybody saw the, that tweet and my conviction behind it, and they used it as one of their many variables, then they could, of course, take a position as well, just based on my my success from before that. But I was really happy about that one, because not only did my conviction pay off, but also a lot of other people were able to see it and also reap the benefits of, his, of it as well. Now, that's a double-edged sword, as you probably know, Michael, because when you put yourself out in the public, especially when you start off doing really well, and you gain a large following, then when something goes wrong, which is inevitable because everything's based on probability, then you're going to get a lot of hate as well with that. So the humbling experience, I did really well on that trade, that main trade, and I'd done well on a lot of previous trades to that, been gaining a following while I've been posting on Twitter for about over a year or so now, most actually 18 months, but I'd been getting a following for a while just based on my trade setups. And then I did that big trade because I, I had a lot of conviction on it, ended up working and then as of recently, as of February, you can look back on all my tweets. I don't delete anything. You can check for transparency purposes. I said that we would actually reach new lows at some point during the summer. That, of course, has been pushed back. So that ended up being completely wrong. What I mentioned earlier in this video, the metrics and variables that I used in 2020 because of that volatility reduction, which, by the way, is not an excuse for lack of performance. I'm just sharing what I believe to be the case uh, in this scenario. Because of that volatility reduction, a lot of those metrics actually weren't working properly and I still use them similarly to how I use them in August. And because they're not working as properly right now because of volatility falling, liquidity injection, et cetera, et cetera, we, it didn't end up falling the way that I had envisioned that it would because there was a lot of similarities to August back in that February time period when I went short, had to end up cutting that position for a loss. So, and that also was public uh, for the most part. So, in both scenarios, worked really well, worked really bad. I've been in all ends of the spectrum here with people loving me, people hating me, um, and both of them. At the end of the day, I just share what I believe to be the case. You can decide what to do at the end of that. And personally, based on my history, I'm more right than wrong 
that's just what the market ends up being. That can always change. But at the end of the day, just out here trading and providing info where I can. And on both of those scenarios, very, again, humbling experience when you lose something, especially publicly, because you kind of have that personality behind the position as well, because a lot of people knew me as a bear, still do. At heart, I'm a bull, but at the moment, in terms of data and everything that I have at my disposal, I am still very macro bearish. That will change eventually in the future. But it, you take hits here, you you gain on other scenarios, just kind of the way, same way with life. That is what it is. And you take everything as a learning experience. And again, I believe that my presence on Twitter, as well as just trading in general, has been a net positive for my life. So just want to continue with that. Met a lot of cool people with it. I learned a ton along trading. That's the biggest lesson that I've had beyond just trying to accumulate capital through trading is how much you learn about the self through actually trading because the amount of stuff you need to understand about psychology of humans in general, as well as just yourself, that's priceless information that you learn from that. So I don't want to go on a tangent there, but those are the two large trades that I've taken that one was very humbling and the other worked out was very lucrative. Ben, for those that want to track some of your thoughts and and get a sense of kind of where you're thinking about markets. There's Twitter, obviously, but where else can people find it? Yeah, for the most part, I'll just do Twitter. There's other avenues, but the main area will be Twitter. I'd like to start posting a lot more frequently on there. I have been busy this year and also working on some other projects in terms of just finding other variables, testing them out and back testing them, which I'll never post something that I don't believe works. So everything that I post, I believe has a lot of, I personally have a lot of conviction behind. So you can be certain of that. I've done a lot of backtesting on new things that I will share on Twitter period, or periodically. Been doing a lot of that this year. So I'm not just going to find something and then post about it the next day. There's a lot of testing that takes place in there. So for the most part, Twitter, again, I, like I shared earlier, I do um, YouTube videos twice a week on the Cheddar Flow YouTube account. So you can check on there. So I do that every Wednesday and Sunday. But for the most part, Twitter is going to be the easiest way and I will be more active here in the future. That's a good place to wrap this Twitter face up. Everybody, please make sure you follow Ben here. And hopefully I'll see all of you soon. Again, this will be an podcast under Lead Lag Live. Thank you, Ben. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me, Michael. Hopefully you guys uh, found some valuable information. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.